Pastor Jay and his family, they are uh, on a well-deserved vacation down in, in Florida right now, and so we need to pray for their safe trip uh, return this next week. And I appreciate so much you guys being here today on this absolutely beautiful June Sunday morning. We're in our second of the series called When the Walls Are Gone, study of Nehemiah. And uh, I'm excited about this. I absolutely love this passage that we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be talking out of Nehemiah chapter 2, but let me, sort of, let me sort of catch you up, give you sort of a quick review of what we've already decided last week. First of all, you got to know this, most of the people of God, the Israelites, were in exile in Persia, where they had been for pretty much a generation. Some of the Israelites, however, we're still back in Jerusalem, not many of them, but a few. And they were in the Holy Land. They were living in poverty. It was an awful place. They were barely making it. Well, this guy named Nehemiah, Jewish man, uh, who happened to work for the most powerful man in the world at the time, the emperor, the king of Persia, he got word about the terrible state of affairs in Jerusalem. And uh, he heard that the temple was in ruins, the city was in ruins, the walls were broken down, bandits were going in and out and stealing things and taking things around, away from folks. And Nehemiah was devastated. He was brokenhearted that God's people, where God had given them such an incredible promise, God's people, most of them were in exile and a few of them were back home and it was not good. It was not good. So he began to pray and fast. And in his prayer, he said, God, forgive us of our sin that caused this mess. And then he said, show us what to do now. It was, the last week was all about that prayer. Then he prayed the strange thing. He said, he asked God to give him favor with the man. Give me favor with the man. <laughs> and then the chapter ends with this sentence. And I, Nehemiah, was the cupbearer to the king. So now we know who the man was. He was the cupbearer to the most powerful man in the world. And he was asking God to give him favor with this man. So let's read the scripture today. It's Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, 10 verses. Let's go with it. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your, and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him said, how long will your journey take? When will you be home? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the city by the temple and the city wall and the residence I will occupy. 
And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. I also went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Now when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much afraid, disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Wow, that's just 10 verses, but boy, is it packed. So let me set the stage for you. Let me remind you, first of all, what a cupbearer was. A cupbearer was not just the guy that tasted the wine or anything the king drank or anything the king ate. He had to taste the food to make sure it wasn't poison because assassination by poisoning was very common in those days. Everybody wants to kill the king. So that was, uh, he was more than a guinea pig though that just uh, risked his life every day when it came time to, to have a meal. The cupbearer would not be in the position he was if he was not trusted. You don't just go out and find a random cupbearer and let them work for you. You have to have somebody you know is full of integrity. They were almost like bodyguards in every way. Joseph was a cupbearer to Pharaoh. And he eventually was put in charge, second in charge of the whole country. That's how much favor that Nehemiah possibly could have with that king. So you know now why Nehemiah prayed, God give me favor with the man. Because the king was the man for sure. Pastor Jay said it last week, everything, any answer always starts with God. It starts with God, not with us. He's the only answer. He's the only solution. There's something, though, I want you to know about God. It's not just all in God's hands. He wants to cooperate with us. In fact, God does his best work whenever he cooperates with us and allows his people to be his hands and his feet. So Nehemiah basically in his prayer said, God, I don't know what to do. I volunteer to cooperate, but it's your job. He said basically, I don't want to lead. I don't want to plot. I don't want to plan. I don't want to come up with a solution. I just want to cooperate with your leadership and your plan and your solution all in your timing. That's really what he prayed. And that's what we talked about last week. He was confident God wasn't going to let him down, but he left everything in God's hands to open whatever door needed to be opened and uh, to work things out. And then out of nowhere, he goes, and God give me favor with the man. <laughs> so really, this chapter is about God answering his prayer. So um, I want to I say to this, to all of you that are here today, we're sitting in history lesson. As much as I love teaching history, this is what God says to you. When your walls are gone, when the walls are down, when you feel like things are in a mess, and you're like cornered without hope, you're helpless without a solution, you have no idea what to do, today I want three things that I want you to know. You just got to know these things. They're going to help you. It's from God's Word. The first is this. God is already at work in your behalf. Did you hear that? He's already at work in your behalf. Before Nehemiah even knew there was a problem, before Nehemiah probably was ever even born, God was already working. Now think about it. 
how in the world did a Jewish guy that was a slave end up being the cupbearer to the most powerful man in the world? Listen, God was arranging that a long, long, long time ago. What were the chances Nehemiah would end up the cupbearer to the king? If there's mathematical chances, they weren't very high. God worked that out. Now, I know the Persian king thought he was in charge, but really God was in charge. God was the one working these things out. God was in charge. Who do you think, who do you think work it, worked it out for Nehemiah to hear about the terrible situation in Jerusalem right at the right time that Nehemiah had already earned the king's favor and earned his trust? He could have heard about that two years earlier when the king didn't trust him. But God had it right at the right time. God is the master of timing. You know why? Because he's the master of time. God is the master of timing because he's the master of time. Why do we fret? God is past, present, and future. He sees it all, and he's never late. <laughs> um, I want you to notice something. Last week when Jay, Jay read this, he read in chapter 1, the Bible says that that prayer he prayed was in the Jewish month of Kislev. Now, it sounds really dumb to, for them to date it because we don't even have the same months. But it says, in the month of Kislev, he got word about how bad things were, and he fell on his knees and began to intercede and pray. Now, Kislev is a Jewish month that is the equivalent pretty much of our November, December. Sort of, it's a Thanksgiving time period. But we read today in chapter 2 that he went before the king in the Jewish month of Nisan. That's our month of April. So it was at least four to five months between when he prayed the prayer, God give me favor with the man, to when God opened the door for him to talk. Now, you know what that tells me? He is so unlike us. I am one of those people that if I got something on my mind and I'm going to pray about it, I want God to answer it now. I want, I want to, that's what I want to do. This is my, and I think you're probably like me. I, I get up off my knees and go, thank you, God. Now, I'm like, where's that man? God's giving me favor. Ooh, I felt it all over me. Now, I'm going to go find that man. I'm going to walk up to that. Thus says the Lord, you're supposed to let me. That's not what he did because he realized it wasn't his timing and it wasn't his plan. He was simply obeying the Lord. So, now listen, he, it wasn't four months before he got to see the king. He saw the king three meals a day, every day for those four and a half months, every day. And yet it wasn't time yet. He waited on God's timing. We make everything so urgent. God's timing is not urgent. It is perfect. Did you hear that? God's timing is not urgent. It's perfect. And perfect is better than urgent. Remember that day that People came to Jesus and said, your friend Lazarus is sick and almost dead. Come quickly. Then the scripture says he waited two more days to even leave to come to see Lazarus. And Lazarus' sister Martha comes running up to Jesus and said, basically in Alabama English, Jesus, your timing stinks. <laughs> Jesus, if you had come when we sent for you, my brother wouldn't be dead. Jesus trusted his father to show him the right time. 
Jesus didn't just get to heal Lazarus. He got to raise him from the dead. Like that's like much better ending, much better ending. God had that worked out because Jesus didn't go with the urgent. He went with the perfect. And that's a lesson we got to learn. We must learn that. When you're in a mess and you say, God, don't you see I'm in a mess? Get me out of the mess. Trust his perfect timing, not your urgent feeling. That's a huge thing to know. God is already at work. Let him work. He was working before you knew there was a problem. You don't have to be the prime minister or the cupbearer of a giant empire for God to work on your behalf. God doesn't just work with kings and prophets. God loves his children. He loves you. And what's important to you matters to God. Even small stuff. Does, does small stuff matter to God? Yes, because it matters to you. It's the truth. You're his child. One time back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I'm talking like back in the day. I'm talking, I know the year. It was 1980. 1980. That sounds like forever ago, doesn't it? 1980, I was a youth pastor here, and uh, Peggy and I took a large group of people to Six Flags. And uh, we, on the church bus, we filled the bus up, took a, spent all day at Six Flags, just wore everybody out. And you know, when you're, when you're going to pay to get in Six Flags and you got a group, you say, we're going to get there when the doors open and we're not going to leave till the doors close. Well, we, that's what we did. And uh, so we were like some of the last people out of the whole park in Atlanta. And as we came out and went to the bus, our bus driver could not find the keys to the bus at all. Couldn't find it. And um, so he came, he came to me and says, I don't know. I get it. I've ridden so many roller coasters. It's probably at the bottom of some loop-de-loop. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what we can do. Now, by this time, I mean, Six Flags, even the workers are like, going home. We're out in the parking lot. We are a, just a little ark out there in the middle of a giant parking lot with 40-something young people sitting around. I didn't know what to do. We didn't have cell phones and all that stuff in 1980, so I went and found a payphone. I went and found a payphone and uh, rustled up some quarters, I guess, and, or dimes probably back then, <laughs> and I, I started Call, I got a, uh, that was back when they had phone books in the phone booth. Remember that? Boy, what kind of day was that? And I, I, I looked up in the Yellow Pages locksmiths in Atlanta. Now, I didn't know anything about Atlanta. I had no idea where things were in Atlanta. I just, Atlanta, Atlanta phone book. It was thick. So I just started calling locksmiths. And I called a locksmith. Uh, I remember one of the locksmiths was in Austell, Georgia, which is right next to Six Flags, but I didn't know that. And I called him, and he gave me a price, and it was, sounded pretty expensive to me. And so I called another one, and then I called, I'm getting tired, I'm getting uh, freaked out a little bit. So then I said, I'm going to call this one. And I called one in Stone Mountain, which is like two counties over. I called this guy in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And I said something to him, and he gave me the same price the other two gave me. And I said, well, come on. I didn't know I'd just ask a guy who lives an hour away to come instead of the guy that lives 15 minutes, but whatever. So I said to him, oh, by the way, uh, how, mu how much was it? And he told me it was, like, it was like $150 or something like that. And I said, okay. And he goes, cash only. 
And I didn't even think, do I have enough cash? I just said, okay, come on. And then I hung the phone up and said, oh dear. I, number one, they didn't do credit card. People didn't carry credit cards around with them, especially youth pastors from youth ministries. So I, I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The guy's going to come here, and I don't know what I'm going to do. So I pulled all the team together. They're all tired, mad. But I called them together, and I said, guys, we're going to need to pray because I have no idea what we're going to do. But I'd already decided in my heart I'm going to wait till he gets the bus cranked before I tell him. <laughs> so... <laughs> He'll have to turn it off in front of me, you know. So uh, our guys, they just started praying. And one of the guys had a guitar and started playing the guitar. And they just started singing. It was just the youth group started singing. They just sang in worship sitting on the, in the parking lot for about an hour, which was really awesome. It really sort of calmed me down. And sure enough, here comes this little van with, you know, Acme locksmith on the side or whatever. And the guy gets out and he looks around a little bit and they just, they're over here singing and he goes to the bus, and he, he wasn't in there very long. He, he knew what to do, and all of a sudden, I, the bus cranks up, and he goes back to his truck, and I'm going, oh, Lord. By the way, I had, I had gathered money that the students had left together. It was at like $13. <laughs> all, that's all we had. So I thought, well, I, I don't know what. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to leave my billfold with him. Or I'm going to leave my, but i got to drive. I, maybe I'll just leave a hostage with him or something. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I just said, okay, Lord. And so the guy goes and he pulls out one of those, you know those little square metal things that you write tickets and then you roll this thing out. You know, it was very 1980s. And uh, he wrote, he wrote uh, you know, and he rolled it out and he handed it to me. And I grabbed it and I looked at it. And on that ticket was a cross, and it said, paid in full by Jesus Christ. I still have that thing. <laughs> and I went, are you serious? He goes, I have never seen a group of people doing what they're doing over there. In the middle of the night, when it's hot and they're all sweaty, and I just want you to know, I'm not charging you a dime. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't even tell him I didn't have any money. <laughs> I just said, thank you, and we just blessed him and everybody cheered and he got in the truck and went on and and I, it was one of those things how only God knew that I was going to be dumb enough to call Stone Mountain Georgia instead of Austell only God knew that God worked that out God's timing is perfect mine is urgent God's is perfect we got to learn to trust his timing just because you don't see it doesn't mean God's not already working. It just means we're not God, which is a really good thing to remember. All right, so number one, you understand, God is already at work in your behalf. Good. Now, we trust him and we know that. Now, here's point two. Point two is, nope. Am I ready for point? Yeah. <laughs> God wants you to risk something in his behalf. Now, this is how you cooperate. If God is going to do something in your behalf, God wants you to risk something in his behalf. It was time now for Nehemiah to sort of do his part of it, seize the day. 
The king noticed that his cupbearer's unusual countenance and happy facial expressions were not evident that day. Nehemiah didn't bring it up. The king did. Did you notice that? Nehemiah didn't pour mouth the king. The king said, what's wrong, buddy? You're not your normal happy self. Look what it says in verse 2. I want you to see verse 2. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then it says this. Then I was very much afraid. <laughs> this, is this not like us? Nehemiah suddenly had panic attack right there. The king, go, I mean, he'd been praying about this for months. And the king goes, um, what, what's wrong? Uh, tell me, what's wrong? And he thought, this is it. This is what I've been praying about. And it's just like he couldn't get it out. And he was very much afraid. Oh, he's so much like me. <laughs> he knew God was going to open the door, but now the moment was overwhelming. And the Bible says he, he admitted to himself, I'm scared. What if I say the wrong thing? What if the king is offended by my answer? The time has come. But deep inside, Nehemiah knew God had opened the door, so he went for it. Boom. He laid it out to the king. I got to tell you another story. When I was at Samford, in fact, it was while Peggy and I were dating, when I was at Samford, my, uh, we were part of a uh, Christian ministry, campus ministries on campus at Samford. And um, there had come an opportunity for us to go to Saskatchewan, Canada for a missions trip over the Christmas holidays. And I just felt like I was supposed to go. I just felt strongly I was supposed to go, but I didn't have any money to go. And I just prayed about it. I just felt like I needed to go. And so uh, I remember they said, well, look, you, you don't have a whole lot of time. You got to make a decision, you know, within a week or so, you got you to work something out. If you want to go, this is it. Well, I just, I prayed about it. I just felt like I was supposed to go. So I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I decided that I was going to call somebody to help me get the ticket. And I had just read in God Post magazine about a guy named Frank Borman, who happens to have been an astronaut, who was a Christian, and he owned Eastern Airlines in Miami. Remember when Eastern Airlines used to fly? Well, he owned it, Frank Borman. And he was like a Gemini astronaut, really cool guy. And I'd read he was a Christian, so I thought, I'm just going to call Frank Borman and ask him if Eastern Airlines can fly me to Saskatchewan. I mean, that is so dumb. But I thought, why not? So not realizing that it's not easy to get a hold of presidents of giant corporations, I just looked up in, I, I called information and asked for Eastern Airlines headquarters in Miami. And they gave me a number and I called. And this lady answered and I said, is Frank Borman in? And she said, pardon? I said, is Frank Borman in? And she said, just a moment. And the next thing I know, I'm talking to this other secretary. And I just said, is Frank in? And she sent me to somebody else. And then this other lady goes, can I help you? And I said, is Frank in? Is Frank available? And she said, just a moment. Who can I say is calling? And I said, this is Mark Sims from Birmingham, Alabama. She said, okay. In a few minutes, this voice goes, hello. And I said, Mr. Borman? He said, yes. And I said, you don't know me. But I read your article in God Post Magazine, and I know you're a believer, and I want desperately to go on a missions trip to Saskatchewan, and I just wonder if you could help me fly to Saskatchewan. And he goes, 
how did you get through? And I said, it wasn't hard. I, I just worked it out. And he just sort of paused for a minute. He goes, well, tell me your name again. I, I, what school? Whatever. And he goes, well, you know, Mark, I, 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 I don't, I, let, let me call you back. Will, will you just stay by the phone? I'll call you back. Yes, sir. Folks, it wasn't 15 minutes. The phone rang. Hey, Mark, this is Frank. And it sounded totally like a God thing to me. And Frank goes, Mark, I've got bad news and good news. Bad news is Eastern Airlines doesn't fly to Saskatchewan. <laughs> but the good news is if you'll send me, write this stuff down and send me a letter, I will work it out. I'll get you a ticket on wherever airlines goes there, and I'll get it worked out for you. Well, thank you, Mr. Borman. I got his, his personal address, and, and thank you very much. And I hung up, and I went and said, hey, I'm going to Saskatchewan. Frank Borman's paying my way. And I'm serious. It was like, whoa. Well, about three or four days later, I mean, I sent the letter. But, well, actually, I didn't send the letter because it was about the next day. The campus ministries called and said, hey, we've had to cancel our trip to Saskatchewan. I went, oh, no. But I sent him a letter anyway and said, thank you. This, this got canceled, but thank you so much. This is like, the body of Christ works well together, whatever. And he sent me a letter going, well, I appreciate you, you know, calling and, and God bless you. It was just real, one of those real nice open door, closed door. And I guess, I guess, I guess God didn't want me to go to Saskatchewan. <laughs> but I do guess that God wanted to show me that he grants favor however he wants to do it. And that my God is able. And I'll bet you that old Frank Borman in his big old office in Miami thought, how did that guy get through? In fact, I bet you Frank Borman said, if he got through, it must have been God. So maybe Frank learned a lesson too. But I know this, sometimes you just have to stick your neck out and risk something. Nehemiah told the king his problem. He laid it out for him. And the king responded like this. Well, what do you want me to do? What? What do you want me to do? I bet you Nehemiah had to pinch himself to believe the king just said that to him. The king had asked the magic question, what do you want me to do? It's amazing. I want you to look at verse 4. This is really cool. The king said to me, what are you requesting? What do you want me to do? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, folks, that is time for the quickie prayer. Really. The king goes, what do you want me to do? And you're going, oh, God. Oh, God, help me get this right. He just laid out a blank check and said, what do you want? Now, what is he going to do? He's still in prayer. You know, the Bible talks about praying all the time. Like, pray constantly, pray without ceasing. This guy was praying during this whole thing was going on. And he prayed to the God of heaven right in the middle of it. He's still bathing it with prayer. <laughs> That's what you do. Hey, I got another story for you. I love stories. Um, uh, some of you remember Ben and Nancy Stone. Uh, ben was a music pastor here for several years. And Nancy's mother, her name was Ann Morgan. Some of you remember Ann. She, she came, she always wore a little, little uh, apron kind of looking thing that said God loves you. And she gave things around to children. She was just a just a, sort of a, a missionary kind of lady, and a little odd, but incredible lady. 
She uh, had come to visit Ben and Nancy and was going back to Dallas, and she had gone to the Birmingham bus depot up the Greyhound station and was in the waiting room of the Greyhound station. She had an auto harp, and she was praying and praising and singing with her auto harp. And the police came in and told her to be quiet, and she wouldn't quit. <laughs> Some of you know Ann. That's just the way it was. She just kept going, and she just kept singing, kept singing. They arrested her and put her in jail. They thought she was crazy. And they arrested her and put her in jail. And Nancy and Ben come flying over to our house. It was a Saturday night. Came flying over to the house going, we don't know what to do. My mother's in jail. Why? Well, for playing the auto harp and singing, which just infuriated me. But, hey, maybe somebody's trying to sleep on the pew. I don't know. But anyway, they, we said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you know what I did? I remembered Frank Borman. I remembered Frank Borman. Many years later. Like 12 years later, I remembered Frank Borman. And I said, well, I'll just call Richard Arrington. Now, some of you who have been around in Birmingham know that Richard Arrington was the mayor forever. Richard Arrington was the mayor of Birmingham. So he hadn't been mayor long. And so I just got a phone book, and I looked up Richard Arrington and called it. This woman answered, and I said, uh, is Mayor Arrington in? She said, uh, just a minute, a few minutes. Hello? You don't know me. <laughs> and I told him the story, and he goes, uh, uh, uh well, uh, uh, let me make a phone call. I'll call you back. And sure enough, he made a phone. He comes back, and he goes, well, you can go pick her up at the, at the jail. So Ben and I got in the car and went and picked up his mother-in-law at the jail. And they let, because Mayor Arrington got her out of jail. Now, let me tell you something. You know, I think God gave me favor with Frank Borman so one day later he could give me favor with Richard Arrington. But let me tell you what's neat about this. The phone book I picked up was like three years old. You know how it's hard to throw away a phone book? You just forget which one's the new one. I picked up a, a phone book that was before he was mayor. The new phone book didn't even have his name listed because he's the mayor. I got the old phone book. What are the chances of that? Well, it worked. We got Ann out of jail, and Richard's my friend. Uh, really, I have no, he has no idea who I am, but let me tell you what. I, I prayed to the God of heaven, and God said, call Richard Arrington. So we called Richard Arrington, and it worked. I'll tell you something. It makes a difference if you just stick your neck out. Sometimes just stick your neck out. Risk something. He took a risk and he answered the king. King said, what do you want? Now, this is what's so fun. He said, well, could you give me some time off to go to Jerusalem and check things out? And the king answered, and the Bible says, with the queen sitting next to him, the king said, well, how long are you going to be gone? This is important because if the king has to find a new cupbearer, he's going to say, heck no, you're not going. No, you're not going. I need you. I trust you. And the queen would certainly refuse because she doesn't want her man, the man, dying of poison. Obviously, she trusted Nehemiah fully too. This was a huge request. This was a massive request. This was, let me take some time off and go to Jerusalem. It was a big request. It was a job in jeopardy type of request. But Nehemiah had prayed for favor. God knew and he knew God was in this conversation. And by the way, Nehemiah requested to be gone for 12 years. 
Did you hear that? 12 years. 12 years. And miraculously, King Artaxerxes said, okay. I mean, he was on a roll. He was on a roll and he began to push a little further. He risked the king backing out of the whole deal. And he said, oh, and by the way, would you send some soldiers to go with me and make sure I don't get killed by bandits on the way? Another miracle, the king said, okay. Oh, yeah, and will you give me permission to take workmen with me to rebuild the walls and the gate? Yes, the king said. Oh, yeah, and will you pay for all the building materials as well as the trip? And the king agreed to all of it. Amazing. That's because he had favor. God answered his prayer. I got to tell you another story. <laughs> this isn't about me, though. This is about Pastor Joel. And his mom is going to laugh, and I hope she remembers this. But uh, he gave me permission to tell this story. You look really good in it, too, by the way. Don't worry. Um, Joel said he was probably about nine years old. And his sister, younger sister, was somewhere staying with somebody. And Jerry had his two older brothers off doing something, and, and probably a Royal Rangering or something. And, and Joel was at home for at least a day or an evening with mom. And mom had to go to the grocery store. And Joel said he remembered being in the grocery store, and he remembered walking down the cereal aisle and seeing sugar smacks. And the, the Sims family, they just didn't buy sugar smacks. They, you just didn't get your kids every sugar uh, thing that you wanted. You know, they wanted. Joel said he remembers working up. Hey, Mom. Mom, you think maybe I could just have some sugar smacks for breakfast? Said Pat said, yeah, why don't you get those? Joel thought, oh, God, it's Christmas. So he got the sugar smacks. And he said he walked them down the aisle. And next thing he knows, he sees something else. He sees like. Oh, God, look at those cookies. Mom, what about those cookies? I can see him. She goes, yeah, get the cookies. So he got the cookies, and he's on a roll now. Now he's really searching. He's looking. He said they got on another aisle. He asked for something else, and Pat said, yes, again. And then he said he turned the corner and saw the little rack of plastic toys. He said, Mom, I sure do like that little red truck. She said, oh, go ahead and get it. And he said, I stopped then. I just knew this is going to have to come to end. She's eventually going to say, no, you can't have any of it anymore. So stop. And he said, it was like Christmas. <laughs> it was like Christmas. So he, he said he, he, his loot and his brothers couldn't steal it and his sisters couldn't eat it. It was his loot. Mom gave it to him. <laughs> I remember, uh, Pat, I remember when Joel and Lindsay got married. We were in the foyer at the rehearsal dinner, and I said, tell me something about Joel that's, that's maybe different from your other children. And you know what I remember Pat saying? Pat saying, Joel, he was so sweet. You know, it was hard to say no to Joel. <laughs> and I told Joel that, and he goes, God, wish I'd have known that a long time ago. <laughs> you know what? It was like, okay, Pat was lonely too. Everybody's gone. So she said, hey, this is mine and Joel's time together. This is it. Look, that's what Nehemiah was feeling. Nehemiah literally was sitting in a room with the most powerful man in the world 
and God gave him favor. And the king's compassion was, um, kings of empires aren't really compassionate, but he was, and he said yes every single time. Every time. That is amazing. So, so we, you ask the question, okay, great. Now, what, in my problem, how do I cooperate with God? I mean, wh- what's going to happen? Am I going to go have an audience with Donald Trump or something? Am I going to have an audience with the richest man in the world or something? No, no. How do you cooperate with God? What about this? What about letting your cooperation be saying, God, I give up control of this. I'm not going to try to work it out anymore. I'm going to let go and let you do it. What about letting go of worry and anxiety and let God's timing work? What about positive praying instead of negative talking? What about getting godly advice from people, not worldly advice? It always kills me when people, they're having marriage problems, and these people go to work and they ask their three times divorced friends how to put their marriage back together. You're going, what in the world is that? Ask people whose lives have been put together already, please. Ask for godly advice. What about obeying God just in regular stuff? Just obey God. A master student sometimes will go, hey, look, man, I've graduated. I I want a ministry. I want a ministry. I'm going, I'll tell you what, dude. You go in there and teach Sunday school as a volunteer and show God you love ministry instead of waiting for somebody to hire you with a a five-figure salary. Come on. A six-figure, whatever. What about it? Come on, just obey God, regular stuff. How about, God, I've got, I got money problems. God says, well, tithe and see what I do. Just obey him. Learn to obey God. God, I don't feel your presence. I also don't attend church. Hey, come to where God's presence is. Come on. What about just listening and obeying God's instruction? So when your walls are gone and you're in a mess and you're backed into a corner, one, know God's already working in your behalf. And two, God is waiting for you to cooperate with him. So cooperate with him. Here's the third thing. Know this. God grants favor, not man. Look, relationship with the God is the only thing that makes a difference in a jam. I'm serious. It's not about praying the right prayer, using the right words, proving your faithfulness and integrity. Earning God's favor, that's not about it. It's not that. God reads hearts. God knows how to read hearts. And I want to I just make a statement, and I want you to see this statement. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Did you hear that? It's not what you know, it's who you know. You can take the Word of God. Jay mentioned this last week. You can take the Word of God and go, now God, you said this, and I'm just going to twist your arm till you do it. It is not what you know. It is who you know. You don't twist the arm of the guy that loves you. You don't try to tell God, God, I'm going to be a lawyer here, and I'm going to demand you keep your word. God's going, I'd like for, I'd like for your heart to have some healing right now, buddy. I'm not going to do anything until you find out where, what kind of heart you got. Come on, guys. It's about a relationship with God that matters. I remember one time, uh, by the way, when you, when you know God's on your side, it's okay. God can work it out. I remember one time in, uh, years ago, Master's Commission, we used to do inner city outreaches. That was a long time ago. There was an organization called ACORN that sort of took over a lot of the inner city neighborhoods, and they wouldn't let us come anymore. But we used to do six every Saturday. Every Saturday, go to different neighborhoods in Birmingham. And 
we went to Tuxedo Junction every Saturday. And uh, I, I wanted to go to Tuxedo Junction to minister because it was a really big housing area and we really felt like God had led us to do that. But there was a lady, and she was the president of the neighborhood. She, she was, that was something they all chose. And she was, a, she was sort of a harsh lady. Her name was Miss Johnson. And the, the police had already said, City of uh, Birmingham had already said, yeah, y'all can use the little common area to do whatever you want. I'd already gotten permission for them. But they said, but you need to check with the president of the neighborhood and let her know what you're doing. So I went and sat down with the president of the neighborhood. I was real nice. I took somebody with me. We sat down and we said, this is what we want to do. We want to come on Saturdays. We want to talk to the kids about Jesus. And, and we want to, uh, sometimes we're going to give away prizes. And we just want to be there for about two hours and minister to them and just love on them. And uh, she said, well, where are you from? And I said, we're from Alabaster. She said, why in the world would I want somebody from Shelby County to come up here and tell us how to live? And I said, well, uh, because we're the, we're the ones that are volunteering to do it. Uh, I don't see anybody else doing it. So could we do that? She said, well, I no, because when you get here, nobody will be here. There won't be anybody here to, to listen to you. I said, why is that? She says, because I'm going to tell them not to. And I said, well, we already have permission to come. She said, well, you come if you want to, but there ain't going to nobody be listening to you. So I just said, I just felt the Lord saying, you just come on. So I got up and said, okay, well, thank you very much. And, you know, if you change your mind, let us know, but we'll see you Saturday. <laughs> and um, I knew, but she was going to get on that one. She was not going to let us come. So, but we went on out and handed out flyers telling everybody it would be the next Saturday that we were going to be there. And on the way up, we were just praying, God, we felt like that you did this. And God, we just ask you to grant us favor. And folks, when we drove up, there's 200 children sitting out waiting on us. And she came out and acted like she was leading the band. She came out and she said, okay, now here are the rules. And uh, she said, I got these people here for you. She did not. People around said, uh-uh, she told us not to come. And I didn't care. I said, oh, well, thank you so very much. And all of a sudden she realized that she wanted to get reelected president of the neighborhood. She needed to act like she was leading that parade. And she, she led the parade after that. And she was as nice as she could be for about two and a half more years. And uh, you know why? Because that favor didn't come from Ms. Johnson. That favor came from God. And when God gives you favor and God works something out, it's a God thing, not a you thing. When your walls are gone and you're vulnerable, I want to tell you, and I want you to remember this, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Nehemiah knew the God of the universe, and that's who he was working for. And when God answered his prayer and gave him favor, it was because the favor of God is all he wanted. He wasn't looking to please men. He was looking simply to have the favor of God in his life. Now, right now, if you will, just think, think with me. What are some areas in your life that you feel like the walls are down. You feel like Jerusalem. You feel like the enemy, like a bandit, has come in and keeps stealing all of, your, all of your joy or all of your stuff or all of whatever it is in your life. And, and the enemy is coming in doing all these kind of things. The walls are down. You feel completely vulnerable. You have no idea what to do. And, and it could be in any kind of situation. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do today? Well, I've shared this with you for, for you to practically apply it to your life. First of all, know this. Don't panic. God, God knows exactly what you're going through, and he's already been at work in it. He's already been working on it. 
You're just now catching up on it. Secondly, volunteer to say, God, I'll cooperate with you. I will give up control. I'll let go of control. I'm not going to try to work it out. But you tell me what to do and I will do it. I'll do it. I'll volunteer to do it. And thirdly, you just know this. You're working for God. The only favor you want is the favor of the Holy Spirit. The only favor you want is for God to be pleased with you. You don't have to impress men. God will work it out for you. You be godly and you trust God and God will give you the favor you need. That's what my message is today. And that's what I want you to apply to your life today. Uh, would everyone stand with me? Uh, musicians, if you guys will come. I just want to make this very simple. I'm going to ask our prayer team members if you'll come and just stand along the front. And I'm going to make it available, make you available for them. If anybody wants to come and just have you agree with them, just have you agree, a, a word of agreement of what the Lord may want to do in your life. Just a word of agreement to you. Or maybe you just want to come by yourself. and you, can, you don't have to come to someone. You can come and just stand right here in front and just say, God, I want to cooperate with you. I give up control now. I know you're working in my behalf. I trust you. I trust you. If you want to do that, you just, you just come on down here. Come on down and let's spend some time with God saying, God, I give up. I give up and I let you give me favor. Maybe, maybe there's been a prayer you've been praying a long, long time and you just need somebody to encourage you right now and say, God has not forgotten you. I'm going to ask you as they sing, I'm going to ask you, don't, don't, don't waste time fighting it. Just come on down and let's talk.